morning's scripture reading comes from Galatians 4, uh, 21 through the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5, 1 through 15 on page 6 of your bulletin if you want to follow along. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother, for it is written... Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. This is the word of the Lord. It's a long reading, but uh, my remarks will be brief, a brief sermon coming up, even though this passage has a fair bit of complexity in it that you heard, maybe your eyes or ears glazed over. Uh, There's a lot going on in this passage, but in fact, the heart of it, the main point of it actually is quite simple, and that simplicity is what we will focus on just for a few minutes But first, let's pray and ask for God's help. Even in this short time, Lord, uh, having already had our hearts encouraged by the testimony of our sister, Muna, I pray now that you would continue to pour out your spirit 
with fresh encouragement from your word. Let the gospel of grace strengthen our hearts and give us new hope. We really need you, so please come near to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tomorrow, as you know, is Veterans Day, and so it's actually an appropriate time for us as a community to thank military servicemen and service women and their families in our congregation. We thank you for your service. In fact, the Bible often, you may know, points to soldiers as examples of courage, discipline, of diligence and training, of loyalty, and of course, of sacrifice. It's often said, you hear this in our nation, this helpful saying, freedom is not free, referring to the costliness of liberty. That is, the social and the political freedoms that we daily enjoy is purchased with life itself, a costly price. Now, that's also true of what you might describe as spiritual freedom. Jesus gave his very life to set us free spiritually. And it's this latter kind of freedom that's the focus of our passage. Today, we hear it loud and clear in chapter 5, verse 1, in the middle of the reading there. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Even in that hard-to-understand first section of the reading, from chapter 4, verse 21, at the top through verse 31, freedom there also is the theme. In that section, Paul's looking back to the book of Genesis, chapters 16 and 17 and 21, and he recalls that Abraham had two sons who were born of two different women. Ishmael was born of Hagar, who was a slave and a concubine of his. Isaac was born of Sarah. She was Abraham's wife and a free woman. uh, Paul explains in verse 24 there that he's using these stories figuratively, sort of as an allegory. And his main point in that complex section, lots going on there, is found in verse 31. Therefore, brothers and sisters, spiritually, we are children uh, not of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Again, the point there is that the grace of God makes you children of freedom. Paul repeats it again in the final section of this passage in chapter 5, verse 13, towards the end. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Christianity, friends, is an invitation to freedom. As author Brendan Manning once put it, freedom is the cornerstone of Christianity. It lies at the heart of the Christian gospel and should be at the heart of the Christian experience of Christ. Now, let's be real. That might sound like a surprise to some of us. I've shared in the past about how in college, for me personally, one of the spiritual turning points for me was when I started to notice out among some of my Christian friends that they had something that I just knew I didn't have. One, it was joy. Two, it was freedom. A freedom in their spirit. Well, how about you? Do you got it? This freedom? 
Does freedom describe your experience of Christ if you have embraced him? Or if you're not a Christian, is spiritual freedom what you can say you have seen in other Christians? Or perhaps when Christians have told you about their faith, maybe even extending it to you, have they offered you freedom? Because this is what lies at the heart of the gospel. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Steve Brown, a Christian author and radio host, once said this, I think intentionally, provocatively, you ought to live your life, if you're a Christian, with such freedom and joy that uptight Christians will doubt your salvation. The good news, he writes, is that Christ frees us from the need to obnoxiously focus on our goodness, our commitment, our correctness. Religion has made us obsessive, almost beyond endurance, but Jesus invited us to a dance. Dear friends, are you ready to dance? Is there dancing in your hearts? Because Christ has set you free. Christ sets you free from debilitating guilt and shame. That deep feeling of shame that you might have, that you are blemished, even filthy, because of your flaws, because of who you are. Yet the gospel promises that Jesus cleanses you, brings you before God, his Father, unblemished and clothed in his beauty. You are beautiful in Christ. You are free. Christ sets you free from the futility and the exhaustion of always needing to justify yourself, earning God's acceptance, earning the approval of other people, perhaps most debilitatingly, even perhaps the approval of yourself, daily proving your worth, daily manipulating your circumstances, even people themselves, in order to feel justified. Christ sets you free because he is your justification by faith, by his grace, as a gift. Christ doesn't free you from depression itself, but he does free you from hopelessness and despair in your depression. Christ doesn't free you from pain, but he does free you from meaninglessness in your pain. He frees you also from being defined by your pain. Christ sets you free. Christ sets you free from the tyranny of sin. You know, because he gives you spiritual power, don't you know, finally and fully to be able to say no to sin, to say no to selfishness, to say no to ungodliness. Christ sets you free from the paralysis of having to control or feeling like you need to control even the uncontrollable, neurotically having to protect yourself from harm, having to neurotically provide for yourself, make life work for yourself. Christ sets you free because he's given you now a heavenly father, and that's his job. 
to provide for you, to protect you, to care for you, to give you everything you need, which is precisely what he's promised you in Christ. He's given you everything you need, and that is freeing indeed. Christ sets you free from the fear of judgment and condemnation. Because in the gospel, judgment day in the future was moved to the past. So that 2,000 years ago on the cross, Jesus already got the judgment that you and I deserve. You're free indeed. Jesus got your guilty verdict. He served your death sentence so that you, in exchange by a miracle of God's grace, might be cleared of all charges for all your sin, even while we tend to live every day as if God is a heavenly meter maid looking out for you trying to give you a ticket, or maybe even worse, God is the one who is watching you, seeking to give you and serve you that arrest warrant, locking you up for eternity. Guess what? Jesus took the judgment that we deserve, you and I. We are free indeed. Christ sets you free from the fear of death because according to Hebrews 2.14, more than we want to admit, we all our lives are enslaved by the fear of death, of aging, of illness, of loss, of death. But Jesus, in dying and rising, defeated death and therefore gives you and me power over death, even giving us eternal life. Christ sets you free from the fear of future disappointment and devastation. As friend and brother of this congregation, Scott Sauls once wrote, if your hope is anchored in Jesus, the worst case future scenario, the worst case scenario for you and your future is resurrection and everlasting life. Gives you new hope, freedom to live like this, freedom from pretending. Because if you're saved by grace, you know that all that you are and all that really counts about who you are is anchored in Jesus, who he is and who he has been for you so that you can finally live honestly, letting people see your true self, all your flaws, all of the flawed you, the scared you, the broken you, the sad you, the sinful you. Let it all hang out. Stop pretending because Christ has set you free. Christ has set us free from the crushing pressure to construct our own identities. Instead, he gives you one. He gives you his identity so that you can stand boldly before yourself, before the world, and before your God and maker, knowing that you're a son because of Jesus. You're a daughter. That's your identity. You are loved. You are clean. You belong. You are free. This is the blessing that we have in Christ. As Paul said, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Dear friend, if you are in Jesus, if you have embraced him, you need to say it in your heart and maybe now even out loud, I am free. You are free in Christ. And it's a battle, isn't it? Which is why Paul in that very same verse continues by saying, stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Stand firm because it's a fight for freedom. It's a fight not to believe the lies of your own heart and of the world and of the devil himself. 
all the ways in which we drift back into bondage, these yokes of slavery. Claim your freedom and stand firm in your freedom. There is, though, something that our freedom is not. Something that Christ has not set us free from, at least not today. There's one thing that Paul points out, that Christ has not set anyone free from pain and persecution. You see in verse 29, in the midst of Paul's discussion of this allegory of Sarah and Hagar, of Ishmael and Isaac, he points out in verse 29, at that time the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. And he's referring to a place in Genesis 21 where Isaac is mocked by Ishmael. He's using this as a symbol of the opposition that Paul himself is facing for preaching the gospel of grace, which is why in chapter 5, verse 11, he says, brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. In other words, Paul is reminding us that even as we enjoy freedom in Christ, faithfulness to Christ and his freedom will add opposition to our lives. We just heard rich, encouraging, and sobering stories about the challenges that Christians in Syria face. Those who speak of the offense of the cross, by which, of course, we mean the cross of Christ declares to all of us that we are indeed sinful, selfish people and that we're powerless to save ourselves. It's the most humbling, indeed offensive news in the world. And yet if we can let our hearts go there, we'll also find on the other side the most encouraging and good news in the world that Christ saves us and sets us free. But at least initially, it's a message that provokes persecution. It reminds us that those who are faithful to the gospel should expect that the normal Christian experience will be some resistance, some opposition, and sometimes even some pain and loss because of your loyalty to Christ and his grace. Or to put it another way, if your faith and beliefs are never offensive to anyone, it might be either because your faith is not truly in line with the gospel as we find it in Scripture, or because your faith is just simply totally hidden from view. But our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted around the world on a regular basis continue as models, as loyalty and faithfulness to this gospel, models of normal Christianity in which the grace of God sometimes provokes offense and opposition. There's another thing that our freedom isn't, and it's this, license to be selfish. And we'll close simply with this. The Apostle Paul is quick to add an understanding, not just what we have been freed from, but rather also what we have been freed for. And his answer to that is that we have been freed for love. See, many of us think that freedom means doing whatever I want. Or, or maybe never having to give up what I want. Freedom, we think, is just being left alone. No obligations. Not having to care about anyone. Not having to give up anything. The apostle says that's not true 
freedom at all. He says in the second half of chapter 5, verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith. What kind of faith? Faith expressing itself through love. And he says again in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Christ calls us in our freedom to use all that energy that used to be devoted to drawing attention to yourself, to push out and draw attention to other people. All that energy that you used to use to meet your own needs, now to use that energy and dispose it towards the meeting of other people's needs. Uh, Using all that energy that used to be wrapped up in, in making life work for you, now being devoted to making life work for others, for their good. Don't you see? Your freedom is meant to be spent in love of friend, neighbor, and even enemy. As a commentator, John Stott put it, Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. It is an unrestricted liberty to approach God as his children, not an unrestricted freedom to wallow in our selfishness. In other words, a growing gospel faith, a growing claiming of this freedom of Christ that we just talked about should produce in us a growing interest in the people around you. In other words, how do you know that you really believe and live in line with the freedom that we just have been talking about? You love more. You serve more. You lay down your life for others. It's not about passing a quiz. Do you believe you're free? Yes, check, check, check. No, it's not about what you believe in your head, but rather how you expend from your heart a life of love that you've received from Christ and now are giving an offering to others. In fact, this word here, serve one another humbly in love, is a translator's attempt to try to figure out how to uh, translate this word that we just don't even really know what to do with. Because there's no humbly, actually, in the original language, per se. The word there actually is a derivative of the word slave. Uh, Make yourself a slave unto others in your service to them. It makes us nervous. We don't know exactly what to do with this. And yet we understand that the true love that God calls us to is the love of the cross, to really lay down your life and give yourself, not just when it's convenient, but when it's costly. Not just when you can, but humanly speaking, when you feel like you really can't. Not when you have time, but when you don't have time, not when you have fullness of energy, but even when you don't have energy, which is alone possible when you plug your heart into the eternal and infinite love of Christ himself for you. The apostle, I mean, sorry, the commentator John Stott again writes this, Christian freedom is a form of slavery, not slavery to our flesh, but slavery to our neighbor. We are free in relation to God, but slaves in relation to others. This is the meaning of love. If we love one another, we shall serve one another, and we shall give up 
our temptation and tendency to guard our right, we think, to a convenient life, to living with a sense of entitlement that blocks true compassion and care, to willfully forget that love, the love of Christ, actually means loving at a cost. Don't you know Christ has set you free so that you can love in slavery to others, serving without gratitude and recognition, behind the scenes without grumbling, at great cost to yourself. So it's not an invitation to let yourself simply to be used and abused by the world around you, but I want to make sure that we don't actually undercut the radical nature of this calling as well. Paul is calling you to something deeply costly that sometimes will be deeply painful as well. The language that he's using is pushing us to a place that we normally don't want to go in our relationships. Dear friends, let the gospel take you there. To go there. To go where Jesus has already gone before you. Jesus, who himself gave up all entitlement, privilege. Jesus, who in fact let himself in love be crucified and killed. Jesus, who didn't exercise his right to be honored, didn't put his needs before ours, but put ours before his. And he did it all to set you and me free. You see, when Jesus wanted to give his disciples a little picture of what his love was like, he stripped himself nearly naked, put on the garments of a slave, and started washing their dirty, grimy, feces-filled feet. He took out the wash basin and got his own hands dirty, and he said, this is what I'm doing for you, taking the posture of a slave. And in that moment, he was pointing also to what he would do for them, on the cross, and in that moment, and on the cross, as Jesus died with slave-like love, there was no one more free than he. So he invites us into that strange, otherworldly paradox, that to love like that, is the greatest kind of freedom of all. You know, you know this. You have loved like this and you have felt that. The freedom of actually loving like Christ, of laying down your life, loving like Him. Don't you want to be free from sin and selfish and your heart's slavery? Beloved, Jesus gives it to us. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. But he frees us from, and he frees us to, to love. Let's pray. We ask that you would do these things in our hearts, beginning with giving us a new deep appreciation for the freedom that you've granted us in the cross and resurrection. Teach us this freedom. Teach us to love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.